Thank you, Tim, for uh, reading God's Word. We're in a, a series on the fruit of the Spirit that we're calling Untwisted. And the theme statement for the series is this, God loves to untwist what is twisted. God loves to untwist what is twisted. Humans, as we've been saying, and evidences all around, are twisted. We're not what we're supposed to be, and we have not been since Genesis chapter 3. We are twisted, we are bent, and we are warped. But the fact that God eagerly wants to take your brokenness and turn you into a beauty is the greatest offer that a human being is ever going to receive in their life. And not only that, but the impact of becoming and living as a true human being in the world as it is must never be underestimated. One of the first teachings that Jesus gives us as disciples of His is that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. And something that is true about both of these, salt and light, is that they do not have to step out of themselves to make a difference. They do not have to step out of themselves to make a difference. They make a difference with whatever they touch, wherever they go, by being what they were created to be. Salt changes everything it touches, unless it loses its saltiness. Light penetrates the darkness, and the darkness, according to John, will never overcome it. Which brings us to the third virtue in the fruit singular of the Spirit. We've looked at love and we've looked at joy. The third is peace, which we started looking at last week when we saw how peace is the opposite of war in, one, in a manner of speaking. But peace, as you drill down more deeply into the idea of peace, is really more the opposite of anxiety. And that sense that we have underneath everything, that everything is falling apart. God, through a number of different descriptors in the Bible, words like adoption and redemption, reconciliation, proximity, which is about His nearness, is trying to help us to understand that the sin that drives us from God and the sin that drives us from each other and is at the root of human anxiety is being healed through our being brought back to God and our being reunited with God in peace. Everything's falling apart. We see it. We sense it. But as God saves us and redeems us, reconciles us, adopts us, brings us unto himself, is bringing peace back into the world. Romans chapter 5, since we have been justified through faith, we've been saved. When God looks at us, he sees children, sons and daughters that belong to him. Since we have been justified through faith, we have, say it church, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse 10. And while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. And it's not only peace with God. I mean, again, what a, when we think about how God eagerly jumps into the middle of our brokenness in order to make us beauties, that should just overwhelm us and lead us to worship every minute of our life. But it's not just peace with God, it's peace with each other as well. When Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus, and Ephesus is one of those towns that has dividing walls in it because of the different cultures that are streaming into it during the middle of the first century, he, he says to them, in light of the knowledge of all of these cultures and the dangers that they present to each other, when you have people not knowingly insulting one another, it can lead to a, a, a fight 
very quickly. He says to them, Jesus put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and to preach peace to those who were near. It's not just peace with God, as wonderful and as great as that is, but it's peace with each other. Peace is just a really big deal to God. When, when Jesus comes into the world, He is going to be known as the Prince of what? Peace. Two facts to always remember about peace. God loves peace. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Obviously love. But it is that love that predicates the peace that comes to us and to God in our relationship. He is referred to in Romans chapter 15 as a God of peace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, He is known as a God of love and peace. God loves peace. The second fact, God's people love peace. In Romans chapter 14, again, one of these big cities where you have people from all over the world, all of these different cultures coming together in all of their diversity, trying to be one body, to be one in Christ. He says in Romans chapter 14, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to what? And to mutual edification. In 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 7, God has called us to live in peace. So here's the thing that you have to think about. Jesus' disciples are to love peace as if Jesus' reputation depends on it. Jesus' disciples are to love peace as if Jesus' reputation depends on it. Jesus told His disciples that the way that the way people of the world can and that people of the world will know the people, recognize the people of the kingdom of God is in how they loved each other in the sense of loving each other the way that Jesus loved them. Later that night, that's John chapter 13, later that night in John 17, Jesus prays to God on behalf of His disciples and prays something really, really interesting. So now He's praying to God and we are given an ear to listen in on what He's saying to God at the end of His life. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's not just praying for his own disciples, but the disciples of his disciples, that they, those that are going to believe the message that his disciples are going to preach, who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. One is the natural number of the church. It's unified. Everyone becomes one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I mean, are you hearing the word one? It's about one, unity, one, one, one. The natural number of the church is one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. One of the manifestations of love in the church among disciples of Jesus of Nazareth is peace that leads to this uncanny, extraordinary unity. The love of God that creates the reality of peace between sinners and God is the love that creates peace between those that are saved in Christ. The tangible, visible, palpable 
love and peace between diverse disciples is a signpost to God's gospel. Now, you know as well as I do that 2020 is unlike any year that we have ever experienced. And quite frankly, I don't want to experience another year like it. Amen? 2020, though, can be called the year of disagreement. 2020 is the year of disagreement from how we're supposed to handle COVID-19, a year of disagreement from COVID-19 to politics, and from politics to race. 2020 has been a year of disagreement. And you know what? There's, there's always going to be disagreements in the church, even in the church. We have different opinions. We come from different places. We speak sometimes different languages. We, we're different personalities. There's always going to be diversity in the church that brings in people from all over the world and from all over the community, from every walk of life. But the end results of disagreements in the church must always be peace in the family. Do we understand this? God loves peace. The people of God love peace. The end result of disagreements in the church must always be peace in the family. That does not mean we're always going to agree. But the end result of what it means for the cross to form the way that we live with each other is that we will be brothers and sisters of one body in peace. Now, a lot of times we think that heated discussions are the problem. And don't get me wrong, they can be. Man, when people start shouting at each, at each other, that is a bad thing. But here's the way I think about it, church. The worst thing yet is when we stop talking to each other. Worse is when we stop talking to each other and we go to our non-neutral, homogenous corners. It's worse when we part ways and we begin to sort ourselves and identify ourselves in extremely non-biblical ways. Right, left, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative... Is Christian unity possible only when there is political unity? In a broken world where there is strife and conflict and warfare, the church, this church, exists as a beacon of peace and unity and diversity shining into the hearts of men and women everywhere. And God has given us a job description. In Romans chapter 12, he, Paul writes, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. I mean, we get that right. I mean, somebody does evil to us, and our response is not to repay that evil with the same level of, 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 of evil and atrocious response. Be careful, he says, to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if it's possible. As far as it depends on you, job description here, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Say those, those, those five words with me. Live at peace with everyone. Let's say it again. Live at peace with everyone. You know, in the ancient world, 
you, you were identified as a son by what your father did. That's why Jesus was called the son of a carpenter. In the Gospels, Joseph, uh, the, father, the earthly father of Jesus, is referred to as a tectone. A tectone is somebody that works with hard substances. Uh, we think of it mainly from our Western viewpoint as, as a carpenter. But if you've ever been to the Middle East, you know that everything, not hardly anything, is made out of wood. It's made out of stone. So it's possible that Jesus' father, Joseph, was a, a mason and a carpenter. And how is it that they always identified Jesus, the son of a Carpenter, you grew up into your family's business. You grew up in your family's, in, in your father's footsteps. You did what you see him doing. In the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is getting ready to talk about what the kingdom of God looks like through parables and miracles and calling people to repentance, there are these things he calls beatitudes, or we call them beatitudes, but it's really just a description of the blessing that is in the kingdom of God life. And in verse 9, of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. All of us here, by virtue of our repentance and our confession that Jesus is Lord, and our partaking in the Lord's Supper is a reminder that the cost of our salvation did not come easily to God, or cheaply to God, are reminded that, that we, we have become His children at great cost to Him. And that, and that our lives, because we have become the children of God, are to, are to be modeled and to live out on the basis of what we see our God do. And that is to make peace with human beings. And so let me give you your job description as simply as I can. I am a peacemaker, not a peacebreaker. Easy, right? I'm a peacemaker, not a peacebreaker. Some years ago, Douglas Brown passed to me a great book by Ken Sand entitled The Peacemaker. At the beginning of the book, he has a really good description of what a peacemaker does and is and what they look like. And I quote, Peacemakers are people who breathe grace. They draw continually on the goodness and power of Jesus Christ. And then they bring His love and mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom to the conflicts of daily life. God delights to breathe His grace through peacemakers and use them to dissipate anger, improve understanding, promote justice, encourage repentance, and reconciliation. End of quote. I'm a peacemaker, not a peacebreaker. And in uh, this book entitled The Peacemaker, uh, Ken Sand gives us the 4G principles to peacemaking. I want to give them to you right now. I think they're, they're great. If you don't have something to write with, you can go to the website, download the outline on the MPG on, on the back of the sermon outline. You'll find these listed. But they're easy to remember. They all begin with the letter G, number one. We make a decision to do this, glorify God. My life exists to bring glory to God. Your life as a disciple of Jesus is to bring glory to God. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, 
Whatever you say, whatever you do, however you think and respond and react, where you place your affection, you're doing it in the name of Jesus. That is, in order for Jesus to be seen in your actions, and that is to glorify Him. And so you have to make a decision. Before you're going to be a peacemaker, you have to decide that I'm going to do this God's way. I am going to do this. I'm going to live my life in the steps of the Prince of Peace. And so I make the decision to glorify God because, number two, the second is get the log out of your own eye. After 40 years of ministry, one of the breakthroughs in any kind of a counseling situation is when somebody comes to the realization that they might be the one that's at fault. That they are not perfect. That they may have said some things and made some actions that were misunderstood or maybe not but they and somehow have contributed to the situation in which peace needs to be introduced. So Jesus, again, in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, says, You hypocrite! You know, one of the things about Jesus is he always speaks the truth. It's the truth in love. But he says there is a way for disciples of Jesus to live as hypocrites. And that is to say, I'm always right and you are always wrong. There are, we are diverse and we are different, but we must never forget that we are also sinners. And that there are times when we say and react and we do and we behave in ways that we may not recognize it at first, but there's always got to be the possibility in a peacemaker's life that me, the peacemaker, may need to repent. And you won't do that unless you decide that you're going to glorify God first. When you say, I'm going to glorify God, whether in word or deed, you are deciding, you are saying that whether easy or difficult, I'm going to do what glorifies God. And sometimes that means I'm not perfect. I made the mistake. Number three, gently restore. Two incredible words in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Sometimes we want to restore, but we want to restore with a pound of flesh in our back pocket. And this is why Paul says, you know, you know, remember it's about restoration, but you've got to be gentle about it. You've got to be gentle because you're also in danger of becoming guilty of the very thing that this person has done that needs restoration brought into their life. It's got to be gentle. And don't forget, though, that it's about restoration. It's about restoration. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore restoration of a person must be done gently. And then number four, go and be reconciled. You know, Jesus says something that we don't want to believe is true. But Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, he's talking about the emotional life between human beings, especially when they get off track. And he says there may be a point where you realize that you're coming and you're worshiping God and you realize that that, 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 person that man or that woman on the other side of where you're worshiping you're just there's no peace between you you're in dispute Uh, you're choosing to worship on one side of the auditorium so that you don't have to see that person and jesus says the most astounding thing he says if that's the case in which you find yourself 
man, on the other side of the building are those stinking Democrats or those stinking Republicans or that person that voted for Trump or that person that voted for Biden. And it's causing there to be a lack of peace in your life. That more important than you worshiping is to do what God has done with you, and that's create the peace. So Jesus says, you go and be reconciled to them. Then you come and you offer your gift. Folks, we live in a crazy time right now. And it is a time in which we, what is twisted about us is just so evident that, that there is a fruit of twistedness. It's evil and wickedness and rage and dissension and fighting and immorality and all of these kinds of things. And God, knowing that that is destroying us and it is eating our lunch every day, and not only that, we are creating ways as human beings to be more destructive to ourselves. In the middle of that, God has put His Spirit in you and in you and in you in order to bear the fruit of the Spirit which begins with love that is extraordinary and a, a joy that is a manifestation of the fact that I have everything that I need. I lack nothing in this life. And it's about peace. That my life is being pulled back together by the Spirit of God and by the Gospel of God and by God's love. And that peace that is established between God and me is a peace that is to be established in creation through His disciples. And in a time like this, I'm telling you, it is a moment for the church to shine, whether it's race issues or it's, it's COVID issues or it's po political issues. The kingdom of God reality is not trumped by political policies. It is a time for the church to stand in, in all of its diversity and to say we represent the kingdom of God. And we represent a way to live in which people do not hate each other and people do not tear each other down, but they build each other up. And we create the ambiance and the environment in the body of Christ for people to flourish and for people to thrive and not just survive, but to become the human beings that they were always meant to be. Amen? Let's stand and sing.